Well, Trevor did a great job of doing this, but I also want to say Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there, you grandmas out there, uh, as well as those who may not be mothers biologically, but find themselves in a mother's role nonetheless. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. This is your day, and so enjoy it. Uh, I don't know exactly how they did this, but there's a group of researchers who uh, took all the different tasks that a mom does, uh, and they researched it, and they put a fair market job value from the United States of America on to all these tasks. And we're not talking about if you have a job outside of motherhood, just the motherhood task itself. They uh, put a uh, figure on that, and it said that the average mother in the United States should be making $184,000 for her job as a mom, which I think is kind of low, but yeah. But uh, I would say you need to get a better union because a lot of you are not getting anywhere near that for mothers, your mother's tasks. So mothers, the calling of a mom uh, can become, is so multifaceted, so complex, has so many dimensions to it. And you know, there's a saying out there that says, we are our worst critic. And I think that when moms look at all that's in front of them, I think it could be a normal human reaction to begin to become their worst critic, to begin to evaluate and begin to um, judge and condemn oneself. Oftentimes we tend to evaluate ourselves by measures that are not so helpful, whether it's envious comparison, or listening to the inner voices of failure within. And today, my hope for all of you moms out there and those mom-like in those roles out there is that you won't be tempted to evaluate yourself, but instead you would allow yourself to rest in the presence of God as his blessed daughter. That you would just this morning be able to rest in God's presence. In our Easter service, we saw a story of two people who are walking with Jesus. And one of the favorite parts for me in that story is the prayer that they prayed as they were walking with Jesus is this. They said, come and stay with us. Come and stay with us. Since Easter, that has been my prayer for Crossview Church that we would see Jesus and we would say, come and stay with us, Jesus. And my prayer for you moms and those mom-like out there today is that you would grab hold of that prayer and you'd say, Jesus, come and stay with me. And from that place, I would like to look at a mother in Scripture this morning. And so I invite you to, if you want to, you can just sit and listen. If you want to follow along, you can, but I invite you to open to the book of Ruth, where we're going to look at a mother named Naomi. And in this story, we're going to see three realities of motherhood that are inescapable. Three realities of motherhood. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to the book of Ruth. It's Towards the beginning, you'll see Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. It's a short book, so you can fly past it quickly. It's only four chapters. If you have an electronic version, I'll be reading from the NIV uh, this morning. And so uh, I don't have time to go through this whole book uh, this morning, but I would encourage you 
to do that this week. It's a wonderful story, especially if you have a study Bible where you can uh, learn some of the cultural things that are going on. This is an amazing story. So um, in this story, we're going to look through and see these three inescapable realities of motherhood. The first one is this. We see as the book opens the hurt of a mother. The hurt of a mother. Now you might say, why do you start there? Well, that's where the book starts, but also... There is no way you can be a mother the way God wants you to be and not experience hurt and pain at some point. We see this in the life and background of this mother, Naomi. So take a look at Ruth chapter 1, uh, starting in the first verse. It says, In the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live a while in the country of Moab. So let me explain what's going on. There's this family that Naomi's a part of, husband, wife, two sons. They're living in Bethlehem in Israel. A famine hits, and so to survive, they're going to go southwest to this area called Moab. And they're hoping to find relief from the famine there. So they travel to Moab. Pick up in verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left there with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Naomi experienced a huge, huge loss. Her husband, her one son, and then her second son. That kind of loss is overwhelming internally. There leaves this gaping hole of grief and loss and loneliness. Lots of questions come with that, uncertainties and unknowns. So internal pain, that enough was overwhelming for Naomi. But add to that in this cultural context, a woman who went through that also has a lot of difficulty externally, meaning in terms of her future her security. No means to survive, especially in a famine. That situation puts Naomi into a day-to-day -day existence, not knowing if she's even going to make it past another day. The hurt of a mother is so hard because the love of a mother is so deep. There's this intense love. And intense love equals intense pain at times if you are living out your calling as a mom as God would have you to. If you live out that calling the way God wants, then intense love is not an option. It is there naturally. The hurt of a mother comes in many ways. Sudden death, a break in relationship, infant loss, infertility, unfulfilled longing, or maybe the hurt of a mom that you're experiencing on Mother's Day is a loss of a mom. 
or maybe it's due to something that mom did that was painful. God knows your pain. And we're going to see here in a moment that Naomi as a mom lived through the hurt of a mom because she goes back to her homeland in Israel. She goes back to Judah, back to Bethlehem. And when she goes back there, some women who haven't seen her in 10 years all of a sudden see her and look at what they say. Look at verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 20. Well, he said, can this be Naomi? And her response is this in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away, meaning I went away from home full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. What a stunning statement. The Lord has brought me back empty empty. That's a model for motherhood at times. And if you're there, it doesn't mean you're being unfaithful to your calling. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It's just a natural spot when you love like a mom. The hurt of a mom can cause hearts to grow bitter, and this is a normal reaction to grief and pain. There's no way to avoid that hurt. And if you're a mom here, you need to understand that, of course, you're going to go through pain because you're human. And not only are you going to go through pain that every human being goes through, mom or not, because we live in this fallen world, but then you add to that the pain you carry for your own kids and your own loved ones and those you care about. And so pain is intensified and multiplied. As good parents, we get to that place, and I think it's a God-given place, where we live in this broken world and we say to this broken world, as a parent, do whatever you want to do to me, but don't touch my kids. Right? That's a good thing, but it's a painful thing because we can't control that as much as we want to and as much as we hope we could. There's a protector and a defender in the love of a mom. And though painful, there's a beauty and a strength to a mom who stands in the pain and potential pain of her children out of love. And I see this beauty and strength in so many moms here in our church family and beyond. The love of a mom perseveres through pain. And for ladies, if you're here experiencing the hurt of motherhood today, I just want you to know that God sees your pain. And I invite you today to say in the midst of the painful place, come stay with me, Jesus. Come stay with me. Because he will enter those places. And though the pain will not go away completely, more than likely, you have Jesus, your Savior, and the lover of your soul sitting with you in that place of pain. There's a popular author and speaker in our world named Brene Brown who recently described what she called a breakdown that propelled her to go back to church. And she said this in a video interview. I definitely went back to church for all the wrong reasons. I really went because this is hard and this hurts. And in all the midlife unraveling books, they say go back to church. That's what everybody does. I didn't know all the books say that. But there you go. 
She said, so I went back to church thinking that it would be like an epidural. That it would take all the pain away. Like I would just replace the heartache with church. You know, the church would make it all go away. But then I discovered something, she said. I discovered that faith in church was not like an epidural at all. It was more like a midwife who just stood next to me in the pain and said, push, it's supposed to hurt. Mothers love much, and in the world that we live in, that means there will be times of pain. But God knows your pain, and he's with you in that place. Not only do we see the heart of a mother, the hurt of a mother here, but we also see the heart of a mother. When God calls someone to be a mother, either biologically or as a treasured loved one, and to give the loving care of a mom, he gives that person a special heart. We see this heart in Naomi as well. So Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem, to go back to her homeland that she, went to, that she came from during the famine. And she decides at that moment to bring her two daughter-in-laws with her. Her two daughter-in-laws are Moabites. They're not Jewish people. So they're going back to a foreign land as widows. And it's hard enough to be widows. But now they have the added thing of being widows from an outside country, which in that culture that was plagued by racism was a very difficult, difficult place to be. And she's, in a way, inviting them into this pain as she says, I'm going to go back there. And as she travels, she kind of comes to a spot where she realizes that, and the mother heart kicks in, and she changes her mind. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 11 and 19. We see this happen, this kicking in. Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to, to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you, meaning you could still go on and have a future. I'm in years. I, I'm not going to be there. We're in different spots because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now Naomi uses peer pressure towards Ruth. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. I think she was being honest there. She had this heart of a mom who wanted to see her their daughter-in-laws live out their best days. Verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. What an amazing statement. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it so, ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped 
urging her. We see this beautiful expression in Ruth towards her mother-in-law, but we also see this amazing heart in Naomi. The heart of a mother is a heart of loving sacrifice. And Naomi put her own needs and subjected that to the needs of her daughter-in-laws. A mother constantly and consistently puts others' needs above their own. And we see in Naomi this concern for the lives of her daughter-in-laws, and this came above her own life. Now, if you think about it, what she was going back to is going to be hard enough. And to face it with two people she was familiar with would have made it easier. But she said, no, because I don't want to do that to them. That would be an incredibly heartless thing to do. I want them to produce their own lives and their own healing and to go far from me. I'm not going to hold them here, though it would make my life that much easier. That's a picture of a mom. The Lord sees sacrifice like that and is pleased. Jesus said to lay down one's life, and what I, I believe he means by that is one's desires, one's intentions, one's ambitions, one's visions one, for their own life, one's preferences. To lay those down is the greatest act of love a human being could have on earth. And mothers do that consistently. One of the many ways a mom does this is through prayer. Praying for children or close loved ones is one of the most powerful and yet difficult and yet thankless jobs there is. When they talked about that 184,000, they left out prayer because that alone is priceless. It's one of the most powerful things a mother can do. And I know many of you here pray for your loved ones. You take the, those in your life that you care for and you bring them consistently before the ear and the heart of God. And it's one of the most difficult things you can do, but it's one of the most powerful things you can do because everything wars against it because our enemy knows how powerful it is. But few things stop a mom or someone who's mom-like from praying for those they care about. So Ruth and Naomi go to Bethlehem. They travel there, and like they imagined, it is difficult. There was no food, there's no favor, and they had to pull all they could together in order to survive. And Ruth starts to do this thing in the Old Testament that they call gleaning. And in the Old Testament, what that word means is that uh, in Israel, those who owned fields were required to only harvest the middle of the field. And in the corners of the field, they would leave crops so that those who are poor or don't have food could come and take crops from the corners. It was something that every Jewish uh, landowner was required to do by Jewish law. And so Ruth starts to go to this field where there's this man who owns this field named Boaz, and she starts to glean. She starts to take food from these corners so that her and Naomi can survive. This landover, landowner, Boaz, takes favor upon Ruth. He sees her as an outsider coming into this land. He knows how difficult that would be given her race and her ethnicity, and he has favor upon her. He protects her. He tells her, you're going to be safe when you come to my field. He gives her extra food. She doesn't just glean. She gets more food to take care of Naomi. 
And Ruth is walking in this favor of this landowner named Boaz. And then Naomi catches wind of this and sees this and watches this. And the heart of a mother kicks in in Naomi. It's a heart of goodness. Look at Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lay down, lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, it sounds suggestive or inappropriate, but it's not. It's actually quite the opposite of that. It's a huge contrast, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to notice the heart of Naomi, the heart of this mom. Notice that she wants what is best for Ruth, and she starts to get a little pushy about it. She doesn't just let go and let God. She doesn't sit back and let it happen. She gets nosy. She steps in. She gets pushy. She breaks down the boundaries because that's what a loving mom does. Amen? And we see that here. So she says to her, here's what you're going to do. It's time to stop mourning the death of your husband, Ruth. It's time for life. The time of death is over. Ruth, I want you to get rid of your clothes of mourning. I want you to wash. I want you to perfume. I want you to put on clothes of joy. This is a time of life, and it's time for your life to move forward. And Naomi exhorts Ruth to that place because the heart of a mother restores life. The heart of a mother sees something that's dead in her loved ones and stokes it back to life. And she ignores all boundaries and everything that hinders her way because that heart of mom has to come through to see that happen for her kids and those she loves. And we see that here. So the cultural explanation of what Ruth was doing is this threshing floor back in the Old Testament actually was often a corrupted place. It was a place where prostitutes would come to rich landowners. But God uses that corrupt setting as a contrast to what's happening here. Because in absolute purity and integrity, Boaz and Ruth are operating in a fear of God. And what culturally is going on here is Ruth, at Naomi's encouragement, is presenting herself available for marriage again after the grief and loss of her husband. That's what's taking place. Mothers have this ability to push you to the point where you can soar in life when empowered by the Spirit of God. There's also this concept that we see in this book of a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. And what that meant in this culture was in every Jewish family, there was one relative who was kind of in charge of taking care of anyone in the family who was in a bad way. And it was something that was passed on generationally. 
And actually, the guardian redeemer of Naomi's family was somebody else, but that person gave that task to Boaz. And it's a picture of God taking care of us. Naomi and Ruth needed this guardian redeemer. And there's lots of cultural laws around this, but Boaz steps in and he marries Ruth and takes care of Naomi. Their fears they had and the unknowns were settled in the gift of Boaz and Ruth's marriage. It was a gift from God that they rejoiced in. And as we close, after looking at the hurt of a mother and the heart of a mother, I want to wrap up by showing you the hope of a mother. The hope of a mother. Everyone loves a great ending to a story, right? Well, look at the ending of this one. It's amazing. In chapter 4, 13 to 16, or 13 to 17, I'm sorry. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. That phrase, better to you and seven sons, isn't an invalid evaluation of sons and daughters. What it is, is it's speaking to that thing that sons and males protected people in Naomi's spot. And what Ruth did was even more powerful than what the earthly system could have did because she was led by God. Verse 16, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they have named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi is no longer bitter. God healed her. And the heart of Ruth is so beautifully illustrated in how she responded to that mother's love. I think Ruth's responding had a lot, of do, lot to do with the heart and the love she received from Naomi. However, it'd be easy to miss something here in this ending. It looks like the hope of a mother rests in life becoming perfect again. It looks like the hope of a mother rests in all the earthly blessings that she missed coming back together because that's what happened in the story. But that would be a mistake if we came to that conclusion. The hope of a mother does not rest in any earthly blessing. Earthly blessings are great. They're a wonderful gift from God. But a mother can have hope whether earthly blessings are present or not. That's how great God is. This child that Boaz and Ruth had was named Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David, who is the ancestor of King Jesus our Savior, our Lord, our Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the hope of a mother is found in Jesus Christ in him alone. In fact, when a mother places her heart in the hands of Jesus, it is like she's placing that calling in the most empowered place where this calling comes to life. 
And it's a beautiful place where Jesus says to a mother and those mom like, you never have to mother alone again. The hurt of a mom can feel like death. The heart of a mom, which is sacrifice, can feel unending. But every person can find hope renewal, restoration in our matchless Savior Jesus because he does not come to condemn or evaluate or criticize. He comes to love and empower. If you Google how to be a better mom, you'll find all sorts of suggestions. I'm going to give you just one. Rest in Jesus. Run to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Allow Jesus to work through you as you rest in him. And also, if you have any hurt or pain as a mom or a loss of a mom, I encourage you to invite Jesus into that place. There was a theologian named Julie Callis who wrote this story of a transforming moment as she was a young mother getting her Ph.D. in seminary. Years ago, she wrote, during graduate studies at Regent College, she said, I had a desperate talk with Eugene Peterson, one of the professors there. Eugene Peterson is known for writing the biblical paraphrase called The Message, and he was an instructor at Regent College at the time. She said, I had a desperate talk with Eugene Peterson about how my PhD had turned the words of God into a great big research project. And I found myself reading a Bible that seemed lifeless because of that journey, which is easy to do in academic study of Scripture. Add to that, I was interrupted a thousand times by children needing to be fed, changed, or read to, and more. I begged Eugene Peterson to give me some sort of spiritual discipline or secret answer, some rope that would haul me out of the hole I felt I was in spiritually. Well, Julie, he said, is there anything you are doing in a disciplined manner now already in your life? She said, I thought about my newborn daughter, Iona, and the hours I spent nailed to our couch feeding her. And she had reflux. And most of what went into her immediately came out of her again, which made me start the process over and over and over. Nursing Iona is the only thing I can count on, she said. Iona makes sure of that. And then Eugene Peterson took my hand and like a loving parent, consoling a dissatisfied child who is not content with her lot in life, said this, Julie, that is your spiritual discipline. That is your godly anchor. Now start paying attention to what you're already doing and be present in that place and invite the presence of Jesus there. In that moment, and like so many others after that, she says, I was weakened by a very common and insidious temptation. I wanted to be for Christ instead of being in Christ. I wanted to be doing something for Christ 
instead of just being in Christ. And I saw my responsibilities as a mother as an obstacle to a godly life when in fact they were the very place he wanted to meet me. Accordingly, I had to radically revise my view of obedience to include the simple act of abiding in Jesus Christ. To all those moms out there today and those mom-like, I encourage you to say to Jesus, Come stay with me. Wherever you are in this journey called motherhood, just pray this. Jesus, come stay with me. No matter where motherhood takes you, in the joys and the heartaches, in the truths you will learn, in the lies you'll be bombarded with, if this is your prayer, he will meet you in that place. Be with Jesus. Abide with Jesus. Rest in Jesus because he can meet you anywhere. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there's not one of us here, those who are mothers and those who are not, that you have not left on our own but you've given us the glorious gift of your son who we behold today, who we worship today, and who we say today, come, stay with us. Stay with us not just to the end of a worship service. Stay with us not just to the end of a day where mothers are honored rightly, but stay with us through all of our days here on earth. Guide us and lead us, transform us and heal us, and help us to know you more. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.